Well, one of my favorite people, if you want to go to that next slide, one of my favorite people in the world for most of my life has been Mr. Rogers. This is a picture of one of our family nights. Don't pay attention to Alec in the back there. Um, but <laughs> that was one of our family nights a few years ago where I dressed up as Mr. Rogers for one of our family nights. And Mr. Rogers has been one of my favorite people um, pretty much as long as I can remember. I've always appreciated his, just his kindness, um, his, his heart for people, his, his music. I think my family sometimes is still amazed when out of the blue um, I can just start singing a, a song that I haven't heard in you know, 30, 40 plus years um, that, that, I, that I learned from his show um, years and years ago. Um, and I really enjoyed kind of the cultural moment we had a few years ago um, when we looked at the, when, when the life of Mr. Rogers was kind of front and center. There was a documentary about his life. There was a, a major motion picture about that. Um, there are a number of books that came out. And I enjoyed it because it gave me an opportunity to learn a lot of things about his life that I didn't know um, prior to that. And one of those was learning the fact that he was actually an ordained minister. He was ordained by the Presbyterian Church, but he had a pretty unique ordination because he wasn't ordained to be a pastor of a church or anything. His specific ordination charge, let me read this so I get it right. He was ordained with the specific charge to work with families through the mass media. And so that's what he was sent out to do by his denomination. And so every day when Mr. Rogers came into that television studio in Pittsburgh, to film his little show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. For him, it wasn't about making a show for kids. For him, it was his ministry to the nation, to the families of the nation, and to, to make a difference and to make an impact for them. And that's how he approached his job. He saw it as a ministry, and I really think that's how each of us should approach every day of our lives is understand that it is our calling, it is our ministry. I mean, this is how Mr. Rogers put it when asked about his job and how he approached it. He said, no matter what our particular job, especially in our world today, we are called to be the repairers of creation. And I truly believe that. No matter what we do, whether you're here today and you're a student, you're a stay-at-home parent, you work in an office somewhere, you're a, you're a farmer, or you work in agriculture, you're retired, whatever it is that you do, our calling, if you are a follower of Christ, is to be a repairer of creation. And I, I love that phrase, a repairer of creation. Why does creation need to be repaired? Well, why does anything in the world need to be repaired ever? It needs to be repaired because it's broken. And why is creation broken? I think we all know the answer to that. It's because of sin, because sin came into the world. I mean, think back to the creation story, Genesis chapter one and two. When God created the world, he created the world as this perfect place. And you think back to Adam and Eve in the garden and everything is perfect. There's, there's no sickness, there, there's no death. They lived in perfect safety. They had perfect peace and comfort and contentment. They walked with God every day and they lived in harmony with him. That was the world, the way that God created it, the way that God intended for it to be. Until the fall, until sin came into the garden. Because when sin came, chaos reigned then in the world. And that's the world we now live in. Because when we just look around, you know our world is not perfect anymore. We live in a fallen world 
broken world that is desperately in need of being repaired. And so this morning, we're going to look at Jeremiah 29 and a couple other passages. And my goal this morning is that we will see that our calling as followers of Christ is to be repairers of creation. And we need to do that by seeking the shalom of the city where God has placed us. So we're in Jeremiah 29. Uh, Pastor Kevin already read verses three through seven there. And just a little bit of context for us as we dive into this passage. Jeremiah 29, it's a letter that Jeremiah has written to the Jewish exiles, approximately 3,000 Jewish exiles that have been taken from the land of Israel, taken to the nation of, of Babylon. And the Jews, this was in about 597 BCs. BC. And there were 3,000 of them there. They were living in exile. And what we're reading here in Jeremiah 29, this is God's instructions to these 3,000 exiles that have been taken away and, and are living in Babylon. And if you backed up a couple verses and you read clear back to verse one, Jeremiah begins by detailing who he's writing to. And he says he's writing to all the men of power and authority from the land of Israel. Because what Babylon would do is they would go into a nation. If they were gonna conquer a nation, they would go into that nation and they would capture the, the, the entire nation, but then they would remove the people of power and authority there. All the people who would have been seen as like the culture makers, so the, the leaders, um, the, the artisans, all of those types of people, the, the younger people that they saw that could be developed into those types of leaders, they would, those were the people. They wouldn't take all the people back in captivity, but they would take those select men and women and they would take them back to Babylon. When they got them back to Babylon, their goal was that these people were going to now be indoctrinated in this new Babylonian culture. And the, 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 the goal of, of all of that indoctrination was they were trying to destroy the culture of the land that they'd overtaken. And that was the Babylonians' approach to conquering the world, is they wanted to replace the cultures of all these other places with the Babylonian culture. So these people would be indoctrinated in this culture and then sent back to the land that they came from. And that's how the Babylonians intended to spread their culture throughout the world. And that's what these Jewish people that this letter is going to, that's what they were facing. And so in verse four, God begins to speak to these exiles. And the first thing he wants them to know is, you're not here by accident. It's not an accident that you're here. He says specifically, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. This is not an accident. You're not here by chance. God makes that very clear that he was the one who sent them into exile. And now he was going to give them instructions for how they're supposed to live while they were there, while they were in exile. And the first of these instructions makes one thing very clear. You're not just here for a few years. You're going to be here for a long time, so settle in and get used to the way things are. He tells them to build houses, to plant gardens, to have your children marry and have children of their own. Multiply while you're here and do not decrease. In fact, if you read a few verses beyond um, where we read, if you go down to verse 10 of this chapter, God's very clear. He says, you're going to be here for 70 years. There were false prophets who were there in, in the land of Babylon who were trying to tell the Jewish people, you know, this is just a short-term thing. You guys, we'll all be going home pretty soon. And God's saying, no, don't listen to the false prophets. That's not true. 
You're going to be here for at least, you're going to be here for 70 years. That's how long your captivity is going to last. So uh, for a lot of you, that means you're probably going to be here in exile for the rest of your life. So while you are here, God is telling them your life is to go on as normal, as much as possible. And then we come to verse 7 of Jeremiah 29, which is really, I believe, an unprecedented command in the ancient world, where God tells the Jewish people who are there in Babylon in exile, he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And that word there in that verse, welfare, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you, that word for welfare, that's the word we're gonna camp on pretty much for the rest of this morning because that is, that is a word that when I began to understand it, honestly, God used to, to, to transform and change the direction um, of my life a number of years ago because that word for welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. And it is a, a common word in the Old Testament. Typically, it was translated as peace. And it was used by the Jews as a greeting. It was something that you would hear every day, multiple times a day, if you were an Israelite back in the the Old Testament times. But it is a word that carries so much more depth and meaning than simply peace. It's not just peace and welfare, but it's the ideas of safety and tranquility and health, contentment, success, comfort, harmony. And the best way, as as I've studied this word and, and, and read about it, the best way I found to sum it up is that to seek shalom is to seek all around human flourishing and wholeness. And so God's commanding the Jewish people who have been taken away into exile, these people who most of us would see them as our enemies that we would want to defeat, we'd want to get back at them, we'd want to seek some kind of revenge. God is saying, seek the shalom of the city where I have placed you. Where's the city he's placed them? It's in Babylon. Your captors, you're sitting there in the midst of all these people, these people, your captors, I allowed them to take you from your homes. And now instead of just staying there and wallowing in self-pity or plotting revenge or looking for some kind of way that you can take the empire down from within, my command to you, God is saying, is seek the welfare, seek the shalom of the city where I have placed you. Instead of being troublemakers in this place, You are to be peacemakers, those that make shalom, that bring shalom to this place where I have placed you, a people who seek peace. And we have an actual example from one of these people. If you remember the story of Daniel, the the book of Daniel, chapters one through six, kind of give us the, the, the story of the life of Daniel. Daniel would have been one of these Jewish people who was taken in exile from his home in Israel to Babylon. He would have been one of the recipients of that letter. And if you remember much about the story of Daniel, you see the story. It's a young man who's been taken captive. He's now forced to go and live in a foreign land. You see in the first couple chapters that they're trying to do that indoctrination that I talked about. That's what they're trying to do in those first couple chapters where they try and get he and his three friends to eat the the food that's been offered to idols and practice the, the Babylonian ways and cultures and diet and all of that. Um, they try in in a couple of different places. You see, they're trying to get them to worship their gods. And yet throughout those first six chapters, we see Daniel continually living and, and integrating into their society without compromising his values, faithfully serving the king, but always striving to do what's right. 
And because of that, he continually finds himself in places of power and influence while serving the very government that had conquered the Jewish people. We also see this idea of shalom, not just in the Old Testament. You can even see it in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Peter actually quotes from Psalm 34, and he writes this. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So he's quoting from the Old Testament. So he's using that same Hebrew word shalom, just writing it in the Greek. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Or Matthew 5, um, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins that Sermon on the Mount by going through what we've, we come to call the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, and it goes on and on. It starts with blessed are the poor in spirit and goes on from there. But the next to last of the Beatitudes, what does Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers. And if we understand that in the, the Middle Eastern context of the day, normally for us, we think about blessed are the peacemakers and we're just you know, people who keep peace between others, people who are the absence of conflict. But in that context, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, the Jewish people that he was talking to are gonna hear, blessed are those who are bringing shalom. The people who make shalom in the world. And so I, I really believe that scripture makes it clear that our calling as followers of Christ is to seek the shalom of the city where God has placed us. And for us today, we're all here. We're in the Yakima Valley. That's, this is where God has placed us. And our calling is to seek the shalom of this place where we are. And we already talked about shalom is that whole idea of human flourishing and wholeness and safety and peace, comfort, success. And we, we've seen that, that was the place, that's the world that God created. It was all perfectly ordered. Everything originally functioned exactly as it was designed to. Then sin came and that was broken. And as you read through the scriptures, the story of the Bible, when we went through, I think it was last year, the story and, and Kevin and, and Jake and some others went through the, the entire story of scripture and the ark of the story of scripture is the story of redemption. How God through Christ is working to redeem and restore this fallen world, to restore his perfect shalom as it was in the garden. And we see that at the end in the book of Revelation. What do we see? At the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, we see that fulfilled with the new heaven and the new earth at the end of Revelation that God establishes. And when God's kingdom is fully established on earth, the new heaven and the new earth, once again, just it's like two bookends on the story of human history. It begins with God's perfect shalom in creation, and it's going to end one day with God's perfect shalom in the new heaven and the new earth. And our role as followers of Christ between creation and God's kingdom is to be people who bring shalom. We can't bring it fully, but in some small way, we bring his shalom here to earth. There was a, there's an author, a man by the name of Cornelius Plantinga. He was a former president of Calvin Theological Seminary. And he wrote a book about this whole idea called Engaging God's World. 
And as, as a seminary um, president, he was primarily writing to the people who would be going through his school. I know it's used as a textbook. My son Zachary said it was one of the texts that he read. And he wrote this about the idea of shalom. He said, we are now fallen creatures in a fallen world. The Christian gospel tells us that all hell is broken loose in the sorry world, but also that in Christ, all of heaven has come to do battle. Christ the warrior has come to defeat worldly power, to move the world over onto a new foundation, to equip a people, informed, devout, educated, pious, determined people, to follow him in righting what's wrong, in transforming what's corrupted, and in doing the things that make for peace. And that's the kingdom of God that the Jewish people were looking for. When, they, when they're looking to the Messiah. Before Christ came, they were looking for the Messiah to come. That's the type of kingdom that they were looking for the Messiah to establish, a place where justice will prevail, where disease will be gone, where hunger will be eliminated. There'll be no more oppression, no more sadness. There'll be peace forever. There'll be no more pain. God will rule and all will be as it should be. That's creation repaired, restored, redeemed, that's shalom. And when Christ was here on earth, what did Jesus Christ do when he was here on earth? He was bringing a little bit of that shalom that God created everything to be to earth everywhere that he went. I mean, if you read through the life of Christ, what did he do? When he encountered brokenness, he made it right. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. The lame walked. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. The dead were raised and sinners were forgiven. See, I believe one thing that characterizes the life of Christ is that whole idea of bringing a bit of the kingdom of heaven wherever he went to redeem and restore. When he encountered chaos and sin in the world, when he encountered hunger and sickness and death, he made them right. So he brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, but just not that total fulfillment of the kingdom because that wasn't his purpose. His purpose when he came that first time wasn't to bring the full kingdom of heaven to earth because Christ knew that before he could bring fully the kingdom of heaven to earth, he had to bring the kingdom of heaven into the hearts of men. And Jesus knew that could only happen through the cross because before the kingdom could be established on earth, the curse of sin and death and the chaos that brought into the world had to be dealt with. So Christ came and he gave his life for you and for me. Now when we come to him and we trust him with our lives, we believe that he is our Lord, that he is the Messiah, he becomes our king and we become a part of his kingdom. And so today, that's what God is doing. He is establishing his kingdom, not fully on this earth, but he is establishing it in your heart and mind if you're a follower of Christ. So the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom is in our hearts. It is within us. And our thing now is to take that into the world and to spread that as we go. As that work of redemption begins to restore shalom in our hearts. And we take it, and now as followers of Christ, we are called to be repairers of creation by seeking the shalom of the city where God has placed us.
So that's our calling today as the church, as followers of Christ, to bring some of that future kingdom to earth, into the present, in whatever small ways that we can. Restore a bit of his shalom in the world today. So that means that for us as followers of Christ now, we are called to serve the poor, to serve the homeless, to serve single mothers, to serve widows. Why? Because in God's kingdom, there will be no poverty. There will be no homelessness. No one will be left alone. And there will be no death. We are called as the followers of Christ to serve those that are oppressed and to serve the victims of injustice in our world for the same reason that Jesus did. Because in his future kingdom, there will be no oppression and there will be no injustice. We are called to serve the hungry because in his kingdom, there will be no hunger. We serve those in need for the same reason that Jesus did. Because in his kingdom one day, things will not be that way. And our calling is to bring a bit of that kingdom to earth Today, That's what it means for us to be repairers of creation. So let me get real practical for a minute, because what does that look like for us on a personal, individual level? I would propose that for us, it means that we need to be working and doing what we can to bring people to what we would call holistic health. Why do I say that? I think it all goes back to our understanding of seeking shalom. I've talked about how I've defined shalom. We looked a little bit at how Cornelius Plantinga defined it. Let me share one more definition of shalom from one of my favorite teachers, a guy by the name of Sky Jatani. Sky writes a daily devotional called With God Daily. And one day he wrote this about shalom. Sky said, in Hebrew, shalom means wholeness, uncut or complete. Therefore, shalom is the peace that results from lacking nothing. It's the assurance that comes when all the ingredients in our flourishing, for our flourishing, are present. Peace in Scripture is not primarily about tranquil circumstances or calm emotions, but rather the well-being, the wholeness and flourishing that comes from living in harmony with God, with others, and with oneself. So seeking shalom is when we serve with the desire to see the broken made whole. We serve to be a part of the work that God is doing to redeem and restore this fallen world. So for each of us, that means we need to stop. We need to look around at the brokenness that is around us and ask God, how would you have me play a part in bringing a small bit of your shalom, your peace, your wholeness to this situation? What part can I play in your work of redemption and restoration? One of my mentors at Love Inc., Lois Tupi, who came and spoke at our fundraiser this last year, has said this. She says, the best way that we can help people is to redeem and restore them back into right relationship with their creator. So for us at Love, Inc., when people come to us, we have staff and volunteers who've been trained to hear their stories, who listen for the places in their lives where there's brokenness, a lack of shalom, and then we work to offer help 
in such a way as to point them to God. We walk alongside them in relationship, all while pointing them to God. We allow them to participate in the process and receive the resources they need. We provide classes where they can gain uh, knowledge and the skills that they need, um, maybe to live in harmony, maybe with their spouse, with their family, with others in their life. Uh, we provide mentors who can encourage them and, and, and can walk alongside them. For us, it's never about just giving stuff away. Because if that's all we do, if all we're doing is just giving people stuff, we're simply sustaining them in their brokenness, in their place of need. And we've really failed at what God has called us to do. So at Love, Inc., we strive to do the work that God's called us to do through some principles um, that Lois put together from Scripture called Redemptive Compassion. And, and if I was going to summarize those principles of redemptive compassion that really drive everything we do as a ministry, it would be this. Number one, it starts by walking alongside the, the people who come to us in relationship, requiring them to be involved in the process. Why? Because we believe that they are people who have value. They have something to contribute. So often people who are living in poverty don't believe that. They don't believe they have anything to offer. And so we want to, we need to include them in the process and ask them to participate because they have value. They have something to contribute. All the way along, every step of whatever we do is bathed in prayer and asking God to do his work of redeeming and restoring, helping them see their God-given potential, that there is more to this life than what they've experienced so far, that they can experience some of God's shalom, that wholeness, that restoration in their lives. And that's how we see God work and transform lives and change people. That's what holistic health looks like. Brokenness made whole. God redeeming and restoring people in their relationships. That's how we were created to live. And so our calling, not just to love ink, but for all of us who are followers of Christ, is to allow God to work through us to redeem and restore us and those around us, to bring just a little bit of his kingdom to earth, to see his kingdom spread in the hearts of men and through the, the things that he has called us to do in this world. As Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our calling to make that a reality, just bring a little bit of up there down here to earth. And that's what we want to do every day. That's what we strive to do every day at Love, Inc. And we try to do it by bringing the body of Christ in the Yakima Valley together. Churches coming together. We have volunteers from at least 29 different churches in, throughout the Yakima Valley that come together on a regular basis to serve our community in so many different ways. And so Love, Inc. provides those kind of opportunities for the body of Christ. I mean, just briefly, I'll just share quickly a, a few stories of some of the ways that God's work. We had a, a single mom a couple of years ago who came to us. She was struggling with just overwhelming debt. Uh, she and her two teenage sons were, were living in a house that was owned by her parents, but they were sharing it with her sister and her sister's family. And so it was her and her teenage sons in this little bedroom. She had all this debt. And she actually came to Love, Inc., not because she thought 
she needed help, but she thought I might know some people who might need help. And then she realized, this is something that I need. And it took her a few years, but she came to our Tuesday night Emerge program. And over the course of time through that program, she learned some principles for setting boundaries in her life, how to be a better parent, how to manage her finances in a better way. And over the course of that time, she paid off in the time that she was with us over $48,000 in debt. She was able to go out and buy her own home for her and her two teenage sons. She got a better job. She got plugged into a church and she is on fire for the Lord and cannot stop talking about how good God is and the good things that he has done and how he has seen her work in their life. Or there's a dad who came to us, who his family, he felt like his family was falling apart. His wife was struggling, dealing with chronic pain. And she, up to that point in time, had been the primary one to manage their finances, but their finances were a mess. And she knew she couldn't handle anymore, so she said, you need to take this over. And he was overwhelmed. It's like, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know where to begin. So he came to us primarily because he wanted to learn how to manage his finances. But in the course of being with us, he took a couple of classes on how we love, which is a marriage class, how we love our kids, as well as our financial classes and our boundaries class. And he did all of those things and he began to learn how he could be a better parent, how he could be a better husband, in addition to how to manage his finances. And when he graduated from our program last year, he, he, could, he just talked about how the trajectory of their marriage and his relationships with his kids had changed and how he had, for the first time in his life, learned how he could communicate to them and to do that effectively. Or the homeless veteran who came to us who had lost his job during COVID. He was over in Seattle. He was living in his truck and he came to Yakima, no place to live. Finally, he got into an apartment. He came to us, learned not, not just how to manage his finances, learned so many other skills, had a mentor that helped keep him on track and was able to not just pay off a bunch of debt, but I mean, just the way that his life was turned around and the things that God was able to do, the joy that was in his, in his voice as he talked about what he had seen God do and how he had seen God transform his life. So I'm just gonna wrap up real quick. Let me just share, there, there are a number of ways. I'm here as the Executive Director of Love Inc. Love Inc. today, so I'm clearly gonna talk about how you can plug in at Love Inc. to be a part of what God's doing, but understand there's a lot of other ministries both here at Restoration throughout our community and just for you at home, in the neighborhood, in the place where God has placed you. We talk about seek the shalom of the city where I have placed you. Well, guess what? Each one of you lives in a specific place in this city, and I don't believe any of you live there by accident. God hasn't placed you by accident. God didn't place Restoration here in this building by accident. We have each been placed here and are called to seek the shalom of the place where we are. So look around for the brokenness wherever you are and ask God, what part do you want me to play in the work that you're doing to redeem and restore and bring wholeness to this broken situation? But okay, Love Inc., that's what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> so opportunities, there are a number of ways that you can partner with us at Love Inc. if you are interested in just being a part of what we're doing to bring shalom to the Yakima Valley. And, and the most important one is, is we would ask you to pray for us. If you are interested in becoming one of our prayer partners, a um, couple ways that you can do that. We have a table out there in the entryway. Um, Lee and I will be back there afterwards, and there's a sign-up sheet there. 
So you can sign up there either to get our newsletter or to be part of our prayer team. Um, ideally, on good weeks, we have a prayer letter that goes out every week that just shares some of the prayer requests for the folks that are in our, um, our long-term uh, program. Um, so if you're interested in doing that, that is one of the most vital things because honestly, doesn't matter how hard or how much we do, it is God who does the work of redeeming and restoring those who are broken. And so we have to be asking him to help. So we, we, we need you to be praying for us. You can volunteer. I already mentioned a number of folks here at Restoration who volunteer, but we desperately need more mentors. Our Tuesday night Emerge program, which is our long-term program that people can be in sometimes for up to a year, we need mentors. That program is, is growing like gangbusters. I think the last couple orientations we've had, we've had six to eight new folks that have come. And we are pretty much maxed out with the mentors that we have. And we desperately need to begin training some new mentors um, to work with folks in, in that program and, and to help them. So we, we need mentors. We need people to facilitate classes as more and more people come. We need to be able to offer more and more classes. You don't have to be a great teacher. You just have to be someone who can be there in the room to facilitate a class, ask some questions, continue to move and guide the discussion along. Um, we need childcare on Tuesday nights. We have more and more families that are coming with kids, and we, we need people who care about kids who want to come and, and serve them. Um, if you're part of a, a life group or something and you want to come and just do like a one-time service project, we always have donations that need to be sorted, or you could come and help with some cleaning. Um, we also have a furniture uh, ministry. If you have woodworking skills and you're interested in, you know, coming and helping repair um, furniture, because every once in a while we get things that come in that we really, we want to give people things where they don't feel like they're getting somebody's hand-me-downs, like they're getting quality stuff. We want them to be able to come and receive with dignity. So if you have a, the ability and the interest in helping with that, we would love that. And then um, just donations. We are always looking for, for donations of whether it's clothing, kitchen items, um, like I said, furniture. We, we always have, we can never have enough uh, beds Beds as mattresses particularly is, is one of the greatest needs that we have. Um, I think we've probably gotten six in the last probably three weeks, and I think that they are all already spoken for and out the door. We typically have a waiting list for people who need that. Um, dressers, dining room table type things, if you have those um, that you don't need or you're going to replace yours, think about Love, Inc. as a place to bring that, um, to donate. Um, Baby items, food for our, our food pantry. We put out a post every um, week on Facebook of what the items that we need in our food pantry and our cleaning and hygiene pantry. Those are all types of things um, that people can use as well. So my question that I'm going to leave you with today, what is God asking you to do? Whether it's at Love, Inc., whether it's at Restoration, whether it's at your home, in, in your neighborhood, where do you see brokenness, and how is God calling you to be a repairer of creation? To seek the shalom of the city where God has placed you. Let's pray. 